Happy Wednesday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick, directing behind the scenes. I'm Brian Samudio. Uh, as every Wednesday, we'll dive into Murray's mailbag. Uh, your questions. Chris has got a bunch of answers. Another good batch of questions this week. Uh, Reno 1868 head coach Ian Russell scheduled to join us on the show at 1868 with their uh, first postseason match coming up this weekend at Greater Nevada Field. Uh, I'm sure he's excited about that. Um, and uh, we'll get into uh, the playoffs a little bit before uh, talking about, uh, you know, I think Chris 2020 is going to become kind of a saying, Oh, that, I mean, 10 years from now, you get something bad happens to you. You're going to, man, that's so 2020 mm -hmm. to lose two incredible musicians on the same day. Absolutely. just broke my heart yesterday. So we'll dive into that as well. But uh, uh, you know, the governor said, yay. The president said, nay, um, Nevada football will not have fans. In their opener against Wyoming, President Brian Sandoval has announced that. Uh, and Chris, we're getting a little more, not that there hasn't been transparency, but the numbers are a little startling when it comes to COVID-19 cases on campus. Yeah, I was surprised with this decision. I thought Nevada would have fans in the attendance uh, October 24th when it hosts Wyoming in its season opener. Governor Sislak did allow 10% capacity at larger events, which would equate out to about 2,700 fans out there at Mackey Stadium for that opener. But uh, as you mentioned, Brian Sandoval sent out a newsletter to UNR officials and uh, teachers and faculty that basically said, uh, not only are they closing the gym on campus, but they're not going to have any fans in attendance outside of uh, family members of players and coaches for that October, October 24th game. They haven't ruled out uh, potentially having fans in future games, and Nevada does have three other home games. But, um, you know, it can make some sense when you look at just how many uh, people on campus have been infected. There are over 600 cases since school opened in late August. Uh, you know, there aren't a ton of active cases, only 53 active cases, but it does appear as if the virus is spreading around campus pretty quickly. And uh, if you look at that release, they blame it more on off-campus activities and what they're trying to do on campus. And, um, you know, they made the decision that they didn't think that would be for the best interest of the community and the campus to have fans in attendance. So certainly a blow to Wolfpack fans who were hoping after Sisolak's announcement that they'd be able to go out and watch the Wolfpack in person. But uh, that's not going to be the case when Nevada opens its season a couple of weekends from now. Yeah, the information we received is 111 cases uh, just in the last week alone, and now 623 total have been reported on the campus of the University of, of Nevada. But uh, I understand it. It's disappointing, you know, and, and I, I understand the whole idea of off-campus activities because it's, it's tough to uh, tell someone who's 18 to 22, traditional age of a student, to uh, you know, stay away from each other. Don't go to a party, don't hold a party, don't have a barbecue, whatever. Uh, the big question that you and I both got on social media yesterday, Chris, was from fans who obviously disappointed, some were downright mad, mm -hmm. and I, I don't blame them, I get it, uh, asking if they can tailgate. And we have not received any official word from the university. We actually haven't received word as of the taping of the show, a word from the athletic department about not having fans, but uh, I would doubt they're going to allow tailgating, but we haven't heard anything official yet. Yeah, I think if they're going to rule out having people out in the stands and they're probably not going to allow people to tailgate around the stadium, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. And look, there are going to be uh, hypocritical actions uh, no matter what when you go through a pandemic. A lot of people were pointing out early on the governor's just like at open casinos, but weren't allowing fans out at games. And now you're basically saying as a university that it's too dangerous to have fans spread out in a 30,000 seat uh, stadium, uh, you know, 2,700 of them in that stadium. That's too dangerous 
but it's okay okay to play football when you're breathing on each other, when you're touching each other. Um, you know, it, it, there are always going to be these hypocrisies when you go and you break things down, but there's certainly a financial element, and these players are getting tested now three times a week, uh, and you don't know that that's the case for just a normal fan who's going to go to a game. You don't know if they've been tested. You don't know if they're positive, and uh, are they going to, you know, meet somebody at a concession stand, or are they going to hit a guardrail that somebody else touches? So, um, you know, I, I was, like I said, I was really surprised. I thought there were going to be fans. This came out of nowhere to me um, because everything was online for this to be passing. Doug Newth had been talking as if, uh, you know, they were preparing their plans and they were getting ready to submit it to Washoe County in the state for final approval. Obviously, you're going to see Reno 1868 this Saturday for its uh, playoff game, uh, have fans in attendance. So, um, you know, I'm sure it was a difficult call. Brian Sandoval doesn't want to say no, no fans at this game, but uh, I guess he's proceeding with as much caution as possible. I just thought it was kind of funny that you're saying it's too dangerous to go watch uh, a game, but it's not too dangerous to play the game. But uh, obviously there are some other elements to wanting to play games this season. Yeah, I mean, the players are going through a testing protocol and and uh, they're they're keeping their players as safe as possible. And you can't control what fans are doing coming into the stadium. You don't know where they've been or what they've been doing. You can at least try and control your players and your staff as much. But yeah, there, there are going to be some some hypocritical, hypocritical sort of uh, statements about, about, hey, you know, you're going to allow literally a contact sport. It's your job to knock that person to the ground, grab them and put them on the ground when we're told we're not supposed to be uh, closer than six feet away from each other. I came up in our, our morning meeting, NSN, we have uh, production mornings every single meeting, every single morning. And it came up actually with our people because our people are fans too. Our people want to want to be able to watch the game. We don't know even how we're going to be able to cover these games right now. That's how much we're still in the dark. And we're uh, you know just a few weeks away from this. But what came up is, am I going to be able to watch it on TV? Are we going to put this on NSN? Well, the bidding goes out. I mean, Chris, we've talked about that, how, how the bidding gets into that. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in the, later in the mailbag. But I fully expect every Nevada game this season, including the Hawaii game, to be televised and even if Nevada trickles down through the Fox Sports and ESPNs and CBS Sports Networks, AT&T Sportsnet, everything all that goes and gets to stadium, we're going to do the best we can to televise whatever we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we've explained it before, but CBS and Fox are paying the Mountain West $270 million over six years to be able to broadcast these games. So they will rightfully get the first pick. And if they end up picking uh, each of Nevada's games this season, then it's going to be on those two networks, CBS Sports Network and FS1, the most likely of the carriers. If they don't make that selection, there's a third-tier partner, which is believed to be Stadium, which is co-owned or owned by Sinclair, which owns our channel. So uh, there might be able to be some partnership to get it on air. I don't think there's going to be a situation this season uh, in all of Nevada's eight games that there isn't some way where that game will be on television. It's not the worst thing in the world if you have to listen to John Ramey on the radio as well. But, uh, you know, with not having that access into the stadium, at least for this first game, and even for the, the next three, if they do have fans, you're talking about 2,700 people. That's not very much. People want to be able to support the Wolfpack. They want to be able to watch these games or at least listen to them. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we're, we're going to do whatever we can to try and get it on NSN's air. But we didn't give the Mountain West $270 million to broadcast their games. So we're not uh, at the top of the totem pole when it comes to picking these games. But hopefully we get that schedule by the end of this week. Obviously, uh, you know, you're talking about games being played in 17 days. So there's not a lot of time uh, to go out and get that TV schedule set up. But you're going to see a lot of games switch to Thursday, a lot of games switch to Friday as well. So 
still a lot to be determined as you try and sort through this schedule. But I, I am hopeful by the end of this week that we'll have a national television schedule and uh, we'll be able to make plans even ourselves to try and see if we can get any of these games on NSN. Oh, the irony that there could be more fans at the little wall <laughs> watching the Wolfpack game than there will be in the stands. Granted, I recall games where there were blowouts, Nevada blowing somebody out, and more people were at the wall in the parking lot drinking and having a good time than there were inside Mackey Stadium, but uh, I digress. Uh, staying with Nevada football, uh, social media is, is – so, it's a source for us, Chris, and it really is as much as – if I didn't have to have social media, I would. Um, but Twitter, so you see who follows you, and you kind of look up the – look up, okay, who is that person? I got followed by a Morian Walker Jr., you know, and I, I'm like, I clicked on it, looked at the bio, University of Nevada running back. Who is Morian Walker Jr.? Mm-hmm. Looked at the roster, transfer, grad transfer from Utah State, kind of just snuck in there. There wasn't a release about him, but um, six foot, 205, going to provide some, uh, some, uh, some veteran uh, depth at, at running back. Yeah, so he joined the team probably about 10 days ago. And as you mentioned, a Utah State transfer will be a scholarship running back at Nevada. Uh, he spent four years at Utah State. They just didn't get on the field a lot. He redshirted in 2016. And then 2017 and 2019, he missed the season with injuries. 2018 is the only year that he's played. Uh, you know, he didn't have a ton of time. Five games, rushed 19 times for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Both those touchdowns came in a blowout against Tennessee Tech and FCS school. So uh, he did opt to transfer this offseason. He's a grad transfer, as you mentioned. So he'll be able to play for Nevada this season and probably will have two years of eligibility right now. He only has one, but uh, you know, you combine his injuries and he can get a medical red shirt uh, with the fact that all fall, fall sport athletes are being given an additional year of eligibility uh, in 2021. I would expect him to be in silver and blue for two years, but uh, definitely some much needed depth. You look at Nevada's running back depth chart. There's only three scholarship running backs. So you're really strong with Toa Tawa and Devante Lee. You feel comfortable about that. But outside of those two guys, the only other scholarship running back on the roster was Avery Moreau, uh, who's a true freshman from Seattle, who Nevada expects to play this year. But you get one or two injuries there, and you could be down to one scholarship running back. So this addition does make some sense. Uh, There's also a walk-on from the Oregon area, uh, Wesley Comer, who I think could have a a solid career in Nevada. I think he's a potential scholarship player down the line. But yeah, definitely makes some sense to Adam, 6'205", so he's got some strength to him. Um, You know, he was a a national-level hurdle. Uh, when he was a high school kid so got some speed to him as well but definitely a position of need just in case there are injuries or as we've mentioned if you know one or two people in the running back room get COVID-19 you could be in a, a dire straight situation starting a true freshman with walk-ons behind him so makes sense to make this addition and I think more than any position a running back can just step in there and probably be instantly productive uh, you know it's here's the hole go find it go knock some people over um, so you know it's, he's coming into the system late but I don't think there's as much to learn at running back in some other positions that you could play. I like the fact that he's going to be physically mature as well. You know, uh, players really, really kind of develop going into their sophomore to junior seasons, really kind of start to, you see that uh, muscle being packed on that they physically sort of develop. He is from San Jose. So uh, unfortunately I can't say his family would be able to come over there and watch him play just yet, but uh, put his name in the transfer portal back in February. And he had contact with some, some pretty decent programs in Cal, Arizona, Oregon state, Wazoo, and, uh, and uh, San Jose State there in, uh, in his uh, hometown. But, uh, yeah, I, I really like this, this as a pickup just for depth because it's football. And Jay Norvell told me a story about Al Davis once when he was coaching with the Raiders. And Al Davis said, you need multiple guys at every single position. This is football. 
players get hurt. So uh, adding a little depth there at running back certainly doesn't hurt, but Nevada with maybe the best one-two punch in the Mountain West Conference with Toa Tau and Devontae Lee. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we're talking a little Reno 1868 FC. What's it going to be like to have fans in the stands as the Azules host LA Galaxy 2 in their opener in the postseason coming up on Saturday. That's next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Big match this weekend up at Greater Nevada Field. LA Galaxy 2 coming to town to take on Ian Russell and Reno 1868 FC, excuse me, the top seed in the United Soccer League. Uh, Coach, before we get to this match, um, I, 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 we know you pretty well. We've gone fishing with you. I, I know that a lot of people probably like, this is pretty cool to be able to say first time in franchise history. But if I know you, Mission is not accomplished, man. You got you you guys are you guys are championship or bust. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's one of those years that I, I feel like the teams really come together and it's great to win the league, win the division. Um, but it doesn't mean a lot to be honest. Um you gotta do your work in the playoffs to to really make it a special season. So um our goal is to you know to first of all win this weekend and then go on to the next opponent. Ian, when did you have a sense that this team could do something special like this? And I, I know coming into the year, you felt like, man, this is a really blue-collar group. Like, these guys just just work a little bit differently than maybe some of the teams you've had in the past. Was it early on in training that you knew that, all right, this this group could be a little bit different than some we've had in the past? Yeah, it was interesting because, um, you know, we changed our whole system this year. Um, and I needed to get players that could really – put a lot, I mean, it's, it's a very hard system to play physically. It's very demanding. So I needed to get players that can do that. Um, we're used to here the last three years, we've been very, very technical, a lot of really good footballers on the field, a lot of skill. Um, and we worked hard. It wasn't that, that other, those other groups didn't work hard. They worked extremely hard, but this group's, you know, even brought that to a different level. Um, I would say the first two weeks of preseason, um, I was, I wouldn't say concerned, but I'm like, man, it looks a lot different. We don't, we're not playing the football that I'm used to, but that really, you know, after we got back from quarantine, after we started training, I really saw a big difference in the cohesiveness of the group that they're playing the way I wanted to play. And on top of that, the, the work rate was exceptional. I think it was after our, our Portland game, our second game of the season back from quarantine that I said, man, we, we've got something here because we did really well there. Um, so that was kind of the turning point for me. I'm like, man, we have a special group that we can do some damage with this. Reno 1868 head coach Ian Russell joining us here on NSN Daily with the first playoff match coming up this Saturday at Greater Nevada Field. Uh, Ian, what's the energy been like at practice this week? I would imagine it's, it's no different or maybe even a little higher because, I mean, these guys are professionals and they expect to be here. Yeah, the you know, the week before a playoff game is always a it's an interesting week. Um obviously there's tension, but you know, we've been a lot of these guys have been here before. So I think um, you know, as much as we wanna really put everything into to training sessions right now, we need to make sure that we're fresh as possible for this game. Um we had a tough week last week where we had three games in a week. Um, but LA Galaxy two also did. So I think both teams are at a I wouldn't say a disadvantage, but we're on the same playing field there. So this week's a matter of, again, tactically getting everything right, making sure we're rest, uh, rested, and um, just getting after it this Saturday. 
So LA Galaxy 2 coming out of that Group B, which I know you felt like was super competitive top to bottom, even Las Vegas, who came in and, and gave you guys a tough match at the end of the yep. season. You know, night in, night out, they were really challenged. Uh, what can you tell us about this club, a, a club that was able to, to make it through that very packed-in group and, and get into the postseason? We don't really see LA, you know, have a ton of success in this league, usually a very young team. But this year, mm -hmm. with the stability of not having a lot of guys moving around, uh, they, they've had really, I think, their best year in, in a long time. Yeah, I think um, that's a big part of it. There wasn't a lot of interchange between their team and LA Galaxy, which same with us, actually. You know, we get a lot of players from San Jose Earthquakes. That didn't happen this year. So the teams are a little more cohesive. Uh, I think Galaxy 2 has been a, a great story this year. They, they were, in the, for me, the hardest group in the league, uh, Group B with, you know, Phoenix, San Diego, Galaxy, Vegas, and Orange County. So to come out of that group, it's a good team. It is a younger team, but it's a group that's been together for, you know, three or four years now. A lot of those guys, when they first started with that group, were, you know, 16, 17 years old. Now they're, they're 20, so 20, 21. So they've been, been around each other for a while, and I think you're seeing the, the fruits of that right now. Ian Russell with Reno 1868 here on NSN Daily. Uh, Ian, I know I'm, I've got to give credit because they're not going to say it, but I'll give credit to your front office. Eric Edelstein, Doug Raftery. Your front office team has had their ducks in a row for months trying to convince the governor, hey, let us have a 1,000 people at Greater Nevada Field. Let us have our fans. And your guys have been so patient. I, I can be critical. It's my job to be critical. Yeah. But the, your guys have been so patient about this. The governor finally gives the green light. And as of the taping of this show, as, as of this time, there has not been an official announcement. You guys are anticipating having fans in the stands. Say this goes through. What's it going to be like for your guys and for you? Because I know you still got the competitive juices going, man. What's it going to be like to see you guys take the ball, walk out in front of fans? Yeah, I mean, we're really hoping that happens. Um, it's been a strange year with empty stadiums. Um, you can hear everything the players are saying, the other coach, which is just, it's, it's weird. Um, so we're really hoping that we get the fans. You know, I've got a you know, give credit to the, there's been fans standing on the streets outside of our stadium, you know, um, and you can hear them and just, you know, let's, let's get them in the stadium so they can, they can be heard and seen. Uh, I think it's going to give us a big boost. So hopefully the governor um, gets that done as soon as possible. Um, it'll be safe. Everybody's going to be distanced in the stadium. Um, there's really no problems with having fans in the stadium now. So let's, let's go. Ian, uh, towards the end of that match against Tacoma, you had to take out Foster Langsdorf, who's been such a, an integral piece of your offense, uh, your, your leading scorer this year. Even though he didn't start the year as a starter, he just took advantage of his opportunities, has never really let that go. Are you hopeful that he's going to be healthy on Saturday? And, and what has his impact been in that front line and, and scoring goals? Yeah, Foster's a player that, you know, like you said, he, he wasn't starting a lot at the start of the season. Um, we had an injury up front. He got a chance, and I think he scored, you know, eight or nine goals in, in a row in every game. He had one game he didn't score, and now he's scoring again. Um, yeah, he did take a knock in the game against Tacoma, um, but he's been training the last couple of days. He seems fine, so a bit of a scare. Um, the one thing about this group is we are very deep in the forward position with, you know, Benji and Aiden, Corey. Um, so we want Foster to be healthy and available, but if for some reason he's not, we have a lot of guys that can come in and, and do, do really well. Uh, Ian, it looks like, I mean, we've had this 
summer that just doesn't want to end. We've had the fires out west and, and heat. And I'm looking at a daytime high of 65 on Saturday. You're going to have to bring a light jacket. Yeah, definitely. How much, how much does that affect at all? I mean, you guys have played in the snow before. Come on. I think, you know, we'll welcome a little bit of cool weather. It's been a hot summer. I mean, we've played in smoke this year. It's been 110 degrees in Vegas. A couple of nights here were really warm. I and mean, usually it cools down in Reno at night, but there's been a couple of games. It was really warm and smoky. So get some fresh air, some a cool breeze would be pretty nice, actually. Ian, I'm going to ask you a really unfair question. Uh, it was an unfair question to me a couple of weeks ago. If you had to pick a team MVP right now, could you do it? Because we were talking last week, you know, off the air, there's a couple guys that really could, could garner uh, some yeah. votes for this. You know, it's funny because I was just talking to my assistant coach yesterday about that. And um, I, I don't know if there's actually – there's about five or six guys I think are worthy of this, you know, recognition. Um, but there's nobody that really is like, I am the MVP. I think it's, it's – what you're seeing is a true team. Um, everybody's – you know, we've got – you know, Foster has scored a bunch of goals. Cristiano Francois that's leading, almost leading the league in assists. Um, Corey Herzog does an amazing job of, of leading our press. Uh, Sam Gleadle has been excellent in the back line. Kevin Partita and Sergio have just been, I think, one of the best tandem midfielders in the league. Um, Tucker Bones really come. I mean, there's just been so many guys that have really stepped up um, and done really well. So, if I were to pick one, I don't, I don't think I can. I would, I'll let the someone else do that one this year. Usually I have like, yeah, this is the guy, but um, I think the team is just strong throughout. Yeah, It's funny because wanna... that, that, that could be such a cliche coach answer, but I believe, actually believe you that this yeah. isn't just, okay, I, I'm, I'm kind of skirting around this because truly, I mean, look at that entire team. And that's where we're saying is like, that, that's what makes this team great is that, and for the opposition, like you can't say, all right, well, if we take that guy out, we're going to win or we take this guy out, we're yeah. going to win. There's so many different players that you have to deal with. And that's it's just such a mark of a great team. Yeah, it really is. And um, this is the first year I could probably just say, I, I don't really have any idea who our MVP is this year. Other three years, there was a, you know, Brian Brown scoring 18 goals or, you know, Dane Kelly or Antoine, or there's just been a lot of guys that have really had outstanding years. And there's just been a lot of guys this year that have had great years on a, on a very good team, so it's hard to pick. Reno 1868 FC against LA Galaxy 2. Opening round of the playoffs. It's going to be Saturday night at Greater Nevada Field. When we hear an announcement about fans, we will certainly pass it along to you. But you can also watch it right here on Nevada Sportsnet. Alex Margulies will be on the play-by-play -play call. Ian, I hope these two days go by fast for you, but guys can rest at the same time. And yep. best of luck on Saturday night. Thanks a lot, guys. Good luck, on NSN Daily. Murray's Mailbag, your questions. Chris Murray's answers coming up. It is Wednesday, and that means the official Murray's Mailbag. Uh, Chris Murray will open up uh, Mailbag on Twitter, at by Chris Murray. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's a great follow. Uh, he opens up the mailbag, takes your questions. We actually had a mailbag bonus question yesterday that took up an entire segment. But uh, we got some fun ones uh, for today. Uh, Chris, you said a little over 3,000 words, not, uh, not too heavy on the ibuprofen. Yeah, I think I, think I said 39.93. I don't know. I can go back and check. But yeah, I, I don't really keep count. But it does. Uh, our publishing system does have the word count right in the bottom right. So it is nice to always look at that. 
I, I should stop bringing that up because I'm sure it just gives you gives you anxiety and stress. Uh, let's start off with uh, Justin Joe at Justin Joe Time. Uh, do you still stand by Chris your Nevada football predictions from a few mailbags ago? That would put us six and two by my count. I know we touched on this a little bit yesterday. Yeah, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And then I did go back and look and I had broken down what I thought Nevada would have done had they played that full 12 game schedule. And as it turns out, I did have Nevada six and two in conference games. And obviously the conference schedule exactly the same, just with some games mixed up. So I'll stand by that six and two right now. I have the losses to Wyoming and San Diego State and then running the table against everybody else. Um, you know, I think this is a fun schedule because you could really make the argument for anything from like seven to one uh, all the way down to maybe like three and five. I think they're going to be a lot of close games in here. We've already seen that Nevada UNLV are going to play close games under Jay Norvell. I think the San Diego State and Wyoming games are going to be very, very close. Uh, you know, going to San Jose State might seem like an easy game, but I think San Jose State has upgraded itself enough to where that can be competitive. Going at Hawaii, that's going to be a tough game. That's never an easy trip. Uh, playing Fresno State, you know, they've gotten a late jump on the season with the first-year head coach, but that's going to be a competitive game. Really only the game against New Mexico, I think you can kind of, you know, pretty definitively say that's going to be a win, but New Mexico has Rocky Long as their defensive coordinator and he's a great defensive mind. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different potential from this schedule. Um, but if I did have to put my money on it, I would say six and two. I would guess that if you went to an official betting line, it'd probably be a win total of about four and a half though. So I might be a little too bullish. Yeah, if, if I'd have to look that up because if it's four and a half, I would bet the over on that. I think Nevada's going to win at least five games. I think they win and I think six and two is right on the mark. That's that's really where I like it. Um, yeah, but you you throw in the Hawaii game. That that's always a weird game. You know, traveling, uh, you go from almost five thousand feet to sea level. You're basically drinking the air. I know we've had a long summer here, um, but there are times when you've seen Hawaii have to come to Reno, and it's eighty five degrees and ninety percent humidity on the islands, and then they have to come up here and they're at altitude and it's twenty seven degrees. It flipped the script. You know, you could have Nevada practicing with snow on the sidelines, and then they have to get up and fly to Hawaii where the conditions are completely different. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking six wins is, is where it is right on the litmus. And uh, I'm going to go six and two. Don't make the title game. Make a bowl game and win the bowl game. I'm going to actually go that far. But uh, then again, we haven't had bowl. We, we don't know what bowl games are going to happen. They canceled the Hawaii Bowl. So who knows what ties are going to remain, you know, in the next few weeks. Moving on with the mailbag in, uh, we're going to stay with uh, football. Um, John W. Mackey, when do you anticipate we will have kickoff times and broadcast details for Nevada's football schedule? Chris, aren't you in these meetings up at the university? Aren't you the one who dictates all this stuff? No, we don't. We don't. We're hoping for it this week. Yeah, I mean, time's kind of running out. I'm more interested than anything in what games are moved to weekday games. Uh, I could see that UNLV Nevada game being moved to Friday, which would be actual Nevada Day, October 30th. Um, you know, that'd be a pretty cool thing to play that game on Nevada Day. And Jay Norvell said, uh, while he wasn't, you know, super happy with the conference schedule not being all even in terms of everybody playing eight games, he said he's perfectly fine with playing Friday games. He would actually prefer it because it's kind of a marquee game. There are not as many games on TV, so it kind of gives your program a little bit of a chance uh, to be on a national stage to some degree. So uh, I'm hoping by the end of this week, they released the actual schedule last Thursday. Um, so maybe give them about a week to be able to figure out the TV games from there. So uh, my official prediction will be Thursday afternoon. We will get that. I'm going to say Thursday at 4.57 p.m. Uh, it's, it's usually when some, when some press, press releases come out. We usually get them pretty late sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I would love a Friday night in Vegas, Halloween weekend. The actual 
yeah, Nevada Day is actually October 30th. But, I mean, talk about it. I think that's a sexy pick for a, for a Fox Sports 1 or for a CBS Sports Network. You know, it's a rivalry game. You've got the, the largest trophy in the country. There's so much juice to that game. You've got the fight from last year. You know they're going to show the crap out of that video of, of all of that. So I, I think that would be a good game, and I think they could sell that. Um, staying with Mark Oglesby now at Oglesby. Mark, if the Lakers and Dodgers do both win, that would give L.A. two major titles this year. Considering all the major sports, what do you think of the five best cities for sports fans? Uh, so I just went with winning since 2000. That's basically like my adulthood. So if you uh, if your teams are winning, then it's a great sports uh, city. So number five, I went Pittsburgh. Uh, since 2006, they have three Super Bowl titles uh, and three Stanley Cup championships. Uh, number four, I went New York. Uh, Yankees have won two World Series, Giants two Super Bowls. Uh, the Devils, who I'm counting, even though they're in New Jersey, uh, to Stanley Cups. Number three, San Francisco Bay Area. Obviously, the 49ers, uh, you know, uh, have won a, a ton of championships over the years. The Warriors, uh, you know, have won three in recent years. Number two, I did go Los Angeles. So they've had nine, what I would call like big championships. So NBA Finals, Stanley Cup, World Series, uh, and then NBA titles. Uh, and then number one has to be Boston, right? I mean, they've been a winner city of late. The Patriots have won six Super Bowls. The Red Sox, uh, four World Series, the Celtics a title, the Bruins a title all since 2000. So that's 12 combined. If LA were to get two uh, over the next month, that would put them at 11, quote unquote, big titles. So maybe that closes the gap. And then you look at the uh, WNBA Sparks. They've won uh, three WNBA titles and the LA Galaxy have won five MLS Cups. So maybe you can make the argument for LA at that point. But clearly Boston's been the biggest winner of the last uh, two decades. So I think that's probably the coolest place to be a sports fan. And they, they clear, clearly care about their sports as well. I mean, that is a huge sports town and they they live and die emotionally with how their teams are playing i'm gonna go with your number three city and you still couldn't say giants you couldn't even say it man yeah i, I i've been throwing so much dodger love at you and, and giving you the respect you couldn't even say giants yeah, they've won three since 2010 so you got their three you got the, in the article in the article and it i know this was just just a it was just a miss right and we and oh we, yes it says uh, the 49ers it's 49ers so i had to bust your chops about that but yeah i know you meant giants there but uh, <laughs> yeah I, I agree boston i think you got to go number one and if you play for a team in boston you know this fan base loves you if you win if you're successful and you don't pull a Johnny Damon or Roger Clemens and go across to the uh, to the to the Yankees or or go play somewhere else, you're going to be beloved forever. I mean, this is a town that finally forgave Bill Buckner, uh, finally did. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great list. I like that list very much. Um, finally, Mr. Scooter Samson's in questions all the time. If you could sit courtside for any college basketball or NBA game in history, what would it be? That was a, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a fun question. And he threw out the uh, North Carolina Villanova game in 2016. That was a great game. Back-to-back three-pointers. Villanova wins it with a buzzer beater. I wouldn't have any vested interest because I don't root for either of those teams, so I wouldn't include those. Uh, I did give us three. So I went game seven of the uh, 1988 NBA Finals. That's the uh, the Lakers beating the Pistons by 
three points. I think a lot of people forget this, but James Worthy had a 36-point triple-double that game. So they had Magic, they had Kareem, but James Worthy was the best player on the court, even better than Isaiah Thomas that game. Uh, the 2010 Game 7 NBA Finals between the Celtics and the Lakers, that was the last time Kobe won an NBA title. Uh, the Lakers came from 13 points down in the second half to win that game. And then the 2006 NBA Finals Game 7 between the Warriors and the Cavaliers, I don't necessarily root for either of those teams, but I was pulling very heavily for Cleveland to win, just given how few championships that city has won and uh, LeBron had a 27 point triple double the most memorable block in NBA history as well so those are the three that stood out to me but it was a, a fun question to think about I can't really pick out a single game because I'd want to be part of the environment of any Pistons Celtics Pistons Bulls matchup back in the day Lambeer Rodman those guys John Sally I mean uh Robert Parrish in the and, and Kevin McHale, you know, back when the NBA, when when literally somebody's going to turn around, elbow you in the face, and, and there's no whistle. I mean, guys fought on the court back then. I mean, I, I don't think we give enough credit to the, the rock and roll era of, of the NBA back when, you know, you could tell these guys just absolutely hated each other. And then years down the line, finally, maybe reconcile a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be the fun one for me. Murray's Mailbag opens up every single Sunday afternoon at by Chris Murray on Twitter if you want to follow him there. Major League Baseball playoffs continue. Four more games today. The A's are in major trouble. and The Dodgers with a big game one win. We'll break that down next. Just a flurry of Major League Baseball playoffs. Four games yesterday. Four more today. Uh, Braves beat the Marlins in game one. They lead that series uh, one game uh, to, uh, to none. Uh, Yankees and Rays are tied at one apiece. I want to look at two of these matchups, Chris, what happened yesterday. The A's are in trouble. We'll get to your Dodgers in a second because uh, I, know, I know you're going to have uh, – you have a ton of thoughts on that. But A's are down 5-2 to two to the Astros. And the Astros, as much as it might tick some people off, the Astros look loose and they look like they're having fun. Yeah, I mean, they obviously had a rough regular season, but they did have a lot of injuries. Um, you know, the batting averages were way, way down. Whether that had to do with the cheating scandal or not, who knows? But these are guys who are going to be used to this moment playing in the postseason. I mean, they played in a ton of postseason games. Uh, George Springer has been really, really strong this postseason. Carlos Correa has been strong. So uh, they certainly have the offensive firepower, and they've been able to piece together the pitching. The pitching has been a little bit of an issue the entire season. Obviously, Justin Verlander uh, having Tommy John surgery, Garrett Cole signing with the Yankees, and now Zach Greinke has an arm injury, hasn't pitched in this series. But they've been able to do enough, and you've seen that with a lot of these teams. A lot of teams don't have three or four starters, so they're really bullpen in these games. Uh, and they've been able to do enough to get through these games and give their offense a chance to go out there and win it. And uh, this last game, they uh, scored five runs. The game before that, 10 runs. So the A's pitching has not been good enough to keep up with the Astros up to this point in the series. And now they got to win three in a row or their season is over. Yeah, we'll see if the A's can pull that off. I'm not overly optimistic of, of winning three in a row against a team like the Astros that can just – their bats can explode. Uh, this one was tight for a, a lot of it, but uh, the Dodgers end up pulling away late, winning 5-1, beating the Padres, going up 1-0 in that series. I think more than any other series in the postseason, that game one was more important than any other one to this because the Padres, the last thing I want to do is light a fire into them and, and make them think that they can beat the mighty Dodgers. Yeah, and then you have Clayton Kershaw, who you have to face in this game, and he's had some postseason struggles for sure. I mean, he was obviously excellent in the wild card round against a very poor Brewers lineup, but they 
face a tall task because they're again trying to piece things together bullpenning. I mean, they're throwing seven, eight pitchers out there. And even as they said on the telecast last night, I mean, if you just have one relief pitcher have a bad outing and that's basically was it, what it was, the Dodgers had all four of their hits in one inning, um, then you're going to have some struggles. You're going to have some issues trying to, uh, you know, get nine good performances out of a bullpen. And that's the situation they're in. The Dodgers bullpen was amazing last night, five innings pitched, only gave up one hit, no runs. Um, so, you know, they did enough offensively. I think that ballpark is going to be very interesting moving forward. So that's the ballpark that hosts not only this NLDS, but also the NLCS and the World Series. And it was the least homer-friendly ballpark in Major League Baseball. It had the worst home run rate. And the Dodgers really barreled up a number of shots yesterday. I don't want to get too into the weeds on the numbers, but they basically had four different uh, at-bats. It ended with a 95-mile-per-hour exit velocity with a launch angle between 30 and 35, and the ball went at least 380 feet. Those are typically home runs. They were all warning track shots. So I think as we move on, when you get to the World Series, uh, teams that hit the ball in the air a lot are not going to um, be benefited because this ballpark does not allow a lot of home runs, which you wouldn't expect in Texas, but it's a first-year ballpark. Uh, it has a, a roof. Um, so there are some issues with the ball traveling, which the Rangers experienced this season. Um, and I think you're going to have to small ball your way through probably the NLCS and the World Series. So that'll be interesting to look at going forward but certainly you know the Dodgers getting this win was was huge for them because now they have their ace on the mound they have the pitching depth for sure um, and now they just have to win basically uh, you know two of the next four games so they're in a good spot as well. Absolutely I, have to, I think that was so critical uh, to win that one in game one over the Padres. Coming up next here on NSN Daily uh, the music world mourning the death of two iconic iconic characters uh, we'll dive into that coming up. You know, when I got this news yesterday, I saw it on social media because that's how a lot of news we're finding. You get it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something. But this one struck me. You know, I mean, we've had so many iconic people um, pass away this year, Chris. And this one struck me because this is a, a name from my youth, becoming an adult. Eddie Van Halen dies, 65. And I know his health had been failing for a number of years. He passed because of a throat cancer. But for me, this was an icon when I was literally kind of growing up, you know, just Van Halen was just the band. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the best guitarists ever, and he's in that conversation with people like him and Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. And, um, you know, he was a, an amazing musician. And uh, you talk to people who know their guitar work, and uh, he had a gigantic influence on how guitar was played during the 1980s moving forward. Um, you know, I, my parents used to listen to Van Halen all the time around the house. And, you you know, you get your musical interest sometimes because of what your parents are playing, what you listen to as a little kid. And I remember so many vacations being on a houseboat at uh, Shasta Lake and just listening to Van Halen. And, you know, it was uh, amazing music. Uh, his solo and Beat It might be the best solo ever. Uh, that collaboration with Michael Jackson was amazing. So uh, always sad when you lose a, a musical legend. Uh, you know, like you said, we've lost a lot of great people this year. Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, Chadwick Boseman, and unfortunately, more than 200,000 people due to COVID-19, uh, who might not be quite as famous, but had stories of their own. So yeah, it was uh, uh, a little bit unexpected. Obviously, he had been struggling with, um, you know, like you mentioned, cancer for a long time. But at age 65, you just don't think your icons are going to, you know, pass away that, that young. Um, so yeah, it kind of shook, uh, you know, my family up as well. I shared that message via text when I saw it on social media like you. And uh, you know, a lot of people are going to miss his music. And, uh, you know, at least he has that. He has that legacy that you can go put in the cassette or the CD player, or stream it on Spotify or however you listen to your music uh, and still have that inspiration from the uh, songs that he gave us in the 1970s and then moving forward. 
that was the first cassette I ever bought was the Fair Warning C, uh, CD. It was a cassette tape by, by Van Halen. And that was what really got my interest into rock is, I mean, I grew up listening to country and I still am a big country fan, but getting into the, that hair era of, of the 80s and, and, and falling in love with, with that, that sort of music and watching the videos. The thing I loved about him is that he just seemed like he loved what he was doing. He just had this joy to him and, and so many people that he inspired and he got me into that type of music. And you mentioned Clapton and Hendrix. I'll throw in Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Eric Johnson. Uh, but Van Halen's at the top of the list. I mean, Eddie Van Halen is at the top of the list. And to, to go through what that band went through, there was a joke on social media I saw. And, and you, only get, you can kind of only laugh at stuff sometimes. Is that right now, um, David uh, Lee Roth and uh, Sammy Hagar are arguing on social media over who was more shocked about this. And I went, okay, fine. But uh, yeah, Eddie Van Halen, dead at 65 because of throat cancer. But then one that was kind of overshadowed yesterday, uh, Johnny Nash, not Johnny Cash, Johnny Nash. And I don't know if people are familiar with, with the name, but you'll be familiar with the song. The I Can See Clearly Now, you know, that, that positive, such a positive song. I can see clearly now the rain is gone, da, 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 whatever. Passed at 80 years old. You know, he began as a pop singer in the 1950s. Um, signed Bob Marley as a, as a member of, of Jad Records, uh, the Whalers and all that. But uh, that hit was in 1972, uh, but 80 years old. But uh, another icon gone. A perfect song for 2020, right? Let's get through this year. Uh, let's make sure the rain is gone and move forward. Uh, a very uplifting song for sure. If you're going through dark times that there is, uh, you know, brightness on the horizon once you get through those dark times. So uh, he was very influential in the reggae scene. You mentioned the signing of Bob Marley. And I think that's kind of a, a reggae style song. So, um, you know, like you said, maybe not quite as well known just from the name perspective. But if you listen to the music, you, you know, everybody knows that song. And uh, I just think it's very... Uh, symptomatic of, of what this year has been like. So go put that song on, give it a listen and know that there are uh, better times ahead once we get through this, uh, this era that we're going through right now. Yep, I'm gonna take some time today to uh, put in Best of Van Halen and uh, roll the windows down and, and go, for a, go for a long drive. So uh, yeah, try, nice to remember them and the contributions, what they did in enriching so many people's lives. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, are the Patriots gonna have to close up shop? The Defensive Player of the Year now has COVID-19. We'll have that next. Final minute of our show. I want to thank Ian Russell for coming on uh, 1868 with their uh, playoff match against uh, LA Galaxy 2 on Saturday. You can see that live right here on NSN Daily. Chris, before we go, how close are the Patriots to having to really kind of close up shop right now? Stephon Gilmore, Defensive Player of the Year, tests positive for COVID-19. So Cam Newton, Gilmore, who's next? Yeah, they've got a third player on the practice squad. The Titans, unfortunately, got two positive tests, and they needed two straight days of negative tests uh, to be able to get back into their facility. The Raiders had a positive test. So the, the NFL season is is getting kind of on loose ground. We could see this thing turn, and a lot of games have to be canceled. Um, so hopefully we see uh, fewer negative or positive cases moving forward. But this is definitely an inflection point for the NFL season. Things are uh, starting to trend in the wrong direction in terms of making sure that their bubbles are secure. Certainly uncharted territory. For Chris Murray and Anthony Resnick behind the scenes, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. We will see you tomorrow.